It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Here we are together again, another week of Forward Progress, and we look forward to a conversation with Bamani Jones finishing his first season on HBO with his signature program, Game Theory. We'll talk to him about the progression of the program, his intent, and uh, what's next. Got to be more. Yeah. Six episodes, that's just a taste. We got to <laughs> get some more. Uh, a little bit later in the program, a study showing that uh, the WNBA, uh, the NBA, and Major League Soccer top among sports leagues in the U.S. as it pertains to uh, diversity, inclusion, and equity in their hiring. Uh, but let's start off with a very interesting conversation. And interesting because it's not conversation about Colin Kaepernick solely, it's with him. Mm. And Kirk, that's the thing, quite honestly, over the last, it's, it's been six years since <laughs> that man has played a down of football. And, and that's really the cool thing about this conversation is that for those people that will take whatever political side they want in the conversation about Colin Kaepernick standing for something, which right. let's talk about that in a moment. This is just a conversation getting facts about his process of trying to do his job, trying to have his dream reignited and come true. And it's been amazing. And this is Brandon Marshall and Chad Johnson, Pac-Man Jones, their I Am Athlete podcast. Uh, we tip a cap to them for having a cap, if you will on their program. <laughs> uh, but before we play it, that was the part that was most enjoyable in listening was actually hearing from Colin for the first time in a long time. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of clarity too. I think that's the point that, uh, that has to be made here is that so much from the Colin Kaepernick camp um, has really came from the camp and we really haven't heard his voice um, as much. You know, there's been times where he's had workouts and it was kind of impromptu type interviews. But this was like truly, I, for me, the first time that he's really just talked open and honestly about what's been going on. Like you mentioned, the last five, six years in which he's been sort of exiled from the National Football League. And I think his comments, you know, that we're about to hear just kind of show you that he hasn't lost that dream of getting back to the NFL. And the one thing I want to caution people, because obviously just the name, Colin Kaepernick, <laughs> is a lightning rod for people. Oh, yeah. Listen, that's all I'm saying. This isn't an issue of I'm with the way that he protests police brutality or I wasn't with it or I didn't understand it. And therefore, <laughs> I'm embarrassed right. because now that I have real information or gathered real information over the last half decade about what the man was actually doing. I realized that's entirely within his right, regardless of how I feel about it. This is where people frustrate me at the highest level is they fully don't understand Liberty. And that's both right. sides of any issue. Correct. Liberty is in a very simple definition. So you can grasp it in our hour together. It's really, cause it's more complex, <laughs> but what I want to at least present is imagine something that is the polar opposite of your belief mm. and encouraging atmosphere in which your opponent, from a belief standpoint, now I'm not talking about physicality, I'm not talking about health and safety, I'm talking about a belief system, that that individual that is opposed to you gets to speak to those things as vigorously as you do, if not more. By the way, it's it's it, the foundation of liberty is allowing all of us to have these spirited debates right. uh, about things and how we view them and how we impact them uh, in a civilized manner. And and I don't know how folks who want to stand for 
the things they want to stand for, justice, um, liberty, mm -hmm. the American way, if you will, right. making America great again. How you stand against the, the tenets that make all of this so unique and special and the American way. You're picking you're pick and choose though. Right. You're picking and choosing and you're not being consistent. And, and that was my thing with Colin Kaepernick from the beginning. He said, we can all have a diverse way about how we want to point a finger at how people of color, particularly black folks, specifically black men are handled for the preponderance of evidence that we live and experience as it pertains to interaction with law enforcement. We can, we can have a reasonable spirited discussion about that. And we may disagree about that. How does that impact somebody's employment? I mean, it does. <laughs> We've seen it now. It, it shouldn't. But I think, you know, also too, some of the fallout that from Colin Kaepernick talking and speaking, and people are revisiting that time, Jax. They're revisiting the time when it all came out. And it, it also got me to think about it as well. Now, look, I wasn't an active NFL player when this happened. So for me, the stakes were a little bit different. But I kind of sympathize with a lot of guys who were in the NFL that when all this was going on with Cap and he took the, took the knee, he took the stance, he came out, a lot of players were all with Cap, but yet they didn't know what was our end game. What did we want to see get done? How could we get it done? And in an NFL that was being bombarded by a president at the time, things truly shifted, <laughs> right? Things shifted in a way, Jax, that I'm just looking at people like, I was all in for cap. That's what players said. We were all in, but yeah, we we're trying to look, we we're looking to the left, looking to the right. Okay, so we're doing this, but what are we going to get out of it? And so a lot of guys lost their careers. A lot of guys were, were lost endorsements. I mean, it just thinking back and listening to some of, of Colin talk and things like that, I am so happy for him that he has this opportunity to get his message across that I think, like you mentioned, Jax, was sort of misconstrued. Like his message was was turned and twisted. And, and he just said, look, all the narratives of what you are saying I'm, I, I debunked all of them. You're saying I'm a distraction. You said, look, no, I'm not. I'm a great teammate, great person. I stood for something that I believed in. But isn't this the country that you're supposed to do that in? Like, I don't, what, what did I do that was wrong? But again, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, you mentioned some people just don't get that aspect of it. So let's set the scene. This is after a workout down here in South Florida where I'm based. And uh, it's the I Am Athlete podcast, Brandon Marshall, Chad Johnson, and Pac-Man Jones. And uh, here are the words of Colin Kaepernick running through a series of things. We'll react on the other side. In part, it was a response to, to the situation I was in. You know, the, the narrative was out that was out there was, oh, you know, it's going to be a media circus. It's going to be all of that, what else comes with him? It's like, okay, well, I'll be quiet. I'll do all my work behind the scenes. I'll be prepared. And we're going to continue to reach out to every team for a workout. Do you want to play football? Absolutely. I mean, that's without question. And what you saw out here, that's five years of training behind the scenes to make sure I'm ready and stay ready at the highest level. You don't do that if you don't, if you don't have a passion and you don't believe you're going to find, find a way on that field. No team has brought me in for, for an opportunity. I had the, the one meeting with Seattle in 2017. And out of that, Pete Carroll said, hey, he's a starter. We have a starter. And, you know, things moved on from there. But they don't have a starter right now. You have end racism in the back of your end zone. You got Black Lives Matter on your helmet. Mm. <laughs> Everything I've said should be in alignment with what you're saying publicly. Mm. <laughs> It's a $16 billion business. When I, first, when I first took a knee, my jersey went to number one. When I did the deal with Nike, their value increased by $6 billion. $6 billion, with a B. One, you can know by experience. My coach, Jim Harbaugh, spoke to it. My coach, Chip Kelly, spoke to it and said that I made the locker room better. 
I came in, I prepared, I made the team better. That 2016 season, my last year, my teammates voted me the most courageous and inspirational player. So when you're talking about the people that are actually in the building, that has never come out that I've been a distraction. So the top of the list for me was why we hadn't heard from him. Like you said earlier, it was right. always kind of this really kind of manicured. He had developed a camp and there were statements and lawyers. And listen, when you're battling the National Football League in court, yeah. <laughs> or basically <laughs> a collusion to keep you from being employed and, and, and working through that litigious process, uh, I'm sure that's the advice, right? Right. Say less. <laughs> and, and the settlement ended up, I'm sure, taking care of the financial aspect of his life. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't want to still play football. You can hear it in that discussion. Uh, yeah. Top of the list, still doing this work, even though no one's giving him work, to be ready in case someone's courageous enough uh, to at least let the man come in and work. If And I saw a quote <laughs> the other day. If he can't hack it, he's fine with the idea that quite possibly he can't do it anymore right. in the sense of having a real opportunity to show it. Yeah. I think that's the, the big thing that I've continued to take away is that I truly believe, and, and I've, I, I'll keep saying this um, in the NFL, there's 32 starting quarterbacks and obviously there's 32 backup quarterbacks and we know some teams may keep three, but are you willing to tell me that of the 64, I think, spots of quarterback in the National Football League, Colin Kaepernick is not one of those 64? Mm -hmm. Not one of those 64? Come on now. We, we, we've seen some quarterbacks, the backup guys that go in, and we're scratching our heads saying, uh-oh. And to hear his voice to say that, look, I'm not here to take anybody's job. I'm not here to come in and, 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 and be the starter, right? I just want to show you that I can still play the game. I can come in and be a backup. If you need me to start, hey, that, that's your decision. But I just want to show you that I can play. I want to show you that I'm still invested into this game. With all the work that I'm doing off the field, that doesn't take away from what I still want to do on the field, which is play the game. That's what my biggest takeaway is. And, you know, just to hear his voice is just funny saying, talk about distractions. Well, the distractions for everybody else actually was more lucrative <laughs> than anything, right? Yeah, Nike yeah. made money. Well, listen, the, <laughs> the Nike dollars kind of blew me away. I, I, we oh, have yeah. to fact check that one. It, that was, that was, <laughs> now was it just him in that space or right. was that, you know, uh, but I get it though. It, 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 it didn't Nike take away from time. It. Right. But Nike in that time didn't take away though. Nike. No. And, and that I, that I'm all about. <laughs> But it was right. It was almost insinuated like he was a driving force yeah. in that six billion dollars jersey sales, all of that, man. Be, there might be some other names, right? But that it, he was, contributed to that growth. But w when it comes to his jersey sales, too, right? You know, he had the number one selling jersey at the time. Mm. So people really they follow him. He's mesmerizing. But there's always that aspect that I know I've heard from other coaches. Sometimes you don't want the backup to be more famous than the starter. And no matter what, you probably never want that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we see that all the time. And everybody wants to back up or he's more famous than the starter. But I just hope that he does get an opportunity. Like he's you know, said it, he's interviewed with Pete Carroll, the Seahawks. Um, and I always keep closing the door, yet he keeps cracking it open for me. Uh, Colin Kaepernick with his you know, his workouts, his intentions, his, and the thing about it is he's been going around. I think me and you have talked about it. He's been on this little uh, tour where, Hey, if you guys are working out, just give me a call. I'll come down. I want to throw, I want to throw with the guys who are in the game right now. And he's been doing that. I mean, this interview that he had took place right after a workout he had with some of the best receivers in the NFL and everybody walks away and saying, Hey, that dude still got it. Like I, that, that dude can still play. Now it's just left to a team to say, you know what? Let's bring him in to compete. Let's bring him in to go out and compete for an opportunity on this football team. Listen, I've worked for teams and covered teams for the majority of my adult life. Uh, those things actually do impact their thinking. It, it would yeah, seem as absolutely. though only winning 
is what would matter. <laughs> but every year we see teams in, in the NBA lottery at the top of the drafts in the NFL and HL and, and major league baseball. And so we know not all teams yeah. are trying to win. And in that space, uh, they want the path of least resistance. And that doesn't yeah. include the initial arrival of Colin Kaepernick. And, and that explains away some of it, but the rest of it is just a calculated desire across the board to marginalize this cat. And at this point, after six years, it almost just looks silly. Yeah. That, that's what it comes off to me in the end as and just what, what is this going to do to you? Honestly, right. To just vet another player who could help you along the line and how, why it hasn't evolved to that just yet. Yeah. With the billions and billions of dollars that the NFL is now generating one of the most exciting off seasons known to man, Tom Brady's gone and he's back and Russell Wilson moving. I think this kind of falls in line that the NFL is this business and bringing Colin Kaepernick in to me, I think does not mess up the bottom line. We'll take a quick break a little bit later in the program. We'll dive inside a story presented by ESPN, the leaders in sports and diverse uh, inclusive hiring. Uh, we won't be surprised by a couple of the leagues that uh, jump to the top of the list, but we'll cover them all. Uh, but when we come back, we spend some time with our buddy Bamani Jones, who just finished Game Theory uh, Season 1, uh, a new look at sports late night style on HBO uh, that I haven't missed an episode of. So I look forward <laughs> to talking to the man about the growth of the program and what's coming up as we continue here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Thanks for rolling with us all the way through this edition of Forward Progress. Great to change gears and just say hello to our man, Bamani Jones. Yeah. He has a beautiful platform on HBO with his show Game Theory. And I kind of want to walk through the entire experience with you, Bamani, because I sat and went through the experience with you as a viewer uh, not just happy that you had this opportunity experience. First of all, how did it all come together? How did game theory form and, and find its place on HBO? Okay. So um, last March, so March of 2021, I believe it was March, either March or February. I got a phone call from my agent around eight o'clock Eastern time on Friday. And my agent is like pretty rigidly orthodox. So when the sun goes, like the sun goes down, sun goes down on Friday. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like it's a wrap. And so yeah. he's in California. And so I'm doing the math on the time and I'm like, okay, this must be really important. There's just no other way that he calls me at this time. And so he's like, did you see the email I sent you? I said, no. And he says, okay, it's an email for you to check. And you can tell he like wants to get off the phone. Like I can almost imagine him looking at the sun, right? Like, like just seeing like just how far down it's gone, you know, whether he can still use modern technology. And he says, okay, it's about a show. Uh, the email is about a show for HBO and they want to talk to you about it. And he's like, look, who knows how many people they're calling? Who knows how many people they're talking to about this? But it's there. Let's see what it is. And so I read the email. And I checked the names on it and I Googled the guys that were behind it and saw one of them work with Adam McKay. I saw one of them was just a producer on the last Borat show and had spent many years working on The Daily Show. And another guy had worked on Patriot Act with Hasa Minaj. And I'm like, oh, OK, these are real. These are legit folks. And they sent me a deck and I looked at it and I said, oh, OK. And so I did a call with them um, on Monday and in my time in this game. I have never been in a situation on something like this where somebody reaches out to me on Friday and I'm on the phone with them the next Word. business day. Yeah, right. Like yeah. that's, that's never had, like, I was like, okay, something must really be moving. And so I get on the call with them and they explain part of the reason for the pace is that they had signed a deal to do this pilot and they'd already had a host involved, but that host for whatever reason had left. And so now they were trying to find somebody else. And so they talked to me and I say, all right, well, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm reading this deck and I don't think this deck is for me. Mm. This deck is written for a comedian and I'm not a comedian. Like, I was like, I think I'm funny, but I'm not a comedian. Like we just need to like deal with that first. Like if you want a comedian to do this, that's cool. I'm not a comedian. However, I can tell you 
I am the only person that you're going to find that's going to be able to do what you want to do. And so if you bring this show toward the things that I do, I think you got a chance at something, but I sincerely and honestly don't believe there's somebody else to host the show that it sounds like you want to make. And the reason I said that, and I meant that, like I didn't, I wasn't saying that it's bluster and I wasn't even saying that just about, you know, some statement of how dope I am. I meant that <laughs> legitimately, like if I were the person producing this show, that's the way that I would look at it. And the reason was, you're going to need somebody whose opinions sports fans respect. Like you can't just trot out some funny man to tell jokes about sports for sports fans because sports fans take this shit really, really <laughs> seriously. You know what I mean? Like, like right, you might yes, think that this is just some fun stuff to get into, but this means something to people. And so you're going to have to respect that part. Like the people that will probably be the core audience of your show. They got to respect the person that's up there as someone who has credible opinions on the matter, right? It can't just be about jokes. You're going to have to have some feelings. You're going to have some thoughts. You're going to have to have some level of substance to really make this thing work, right? I was like, so you're going to have that prerequisite. Then you're also going to need somebody that can accomplish some of the funny man stuff that you're looking for, right? You are going to need somebody that, that can present in a certain way and is entertaining in a certain way in order to get this done like I think those were the two big things that you were going to need and I'm like I don't know who you're going to find that is at the overlap of that Venn diagram to do it the way you want to do it like I am um and they believe me I don't know who else they talk I only know one other person that they talked to like I have no idea who else they went to I do know Either Adam McKay told them to call me or they told Adam McKay that they had called me. But apparently McKay, from my later conversation, says somewhere around 2014 or 15 or something, he wanted to try to find a way to do a show with me. So my guess is, and I could be wrong, once Adam McKay decided that he wanted me to be the person to host this show, that was what it was going to be. But the thing was, we had to then get it past HBO. And so they take my name to the HBO folks. And independent of this, before this, I had agreed to do back on the record with Bob Costas. Okay. So now you imagine being HBO and you think you're getting your funny man sports show and they're telling you that the host is this dude that these people just came in the other day telling you about how smart and deep he is and how he sees the world <laughs> like nobody else yeah. does, right? You can't be both, right? right? Well, I mean, I wouldn't blame them. Not even so much that you can't be both, mm. but there was... A skepticism about whether both were possible, which I think is perfectly fair. Like I tell people all the time, anytime I hear somebody who gets all charged up about the fact that somebody doubted them, I'm like, who do you think you are? Right? Like, <laughs> like, like I doubt people. I have doubts yeah. about all kinds of things. It was perfectly reasonable for them to wonder if the show that they had in mind at the time was a show that I was the right person to do. You know what I mean? Like I just, I, like I hear that and I'm like, yeah, I see you. I feel where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. I'm not mad about that. But they went ahead and they decided to do it. And so we spent a couple months working on the pilot where I, you know, I do my day job and all that stuff and then get on calls with them and we'd work on scripts and things. But since I had gotten in the process a little bit late, that stuff that we did for the pilot, some of it just had to stay because like things that, you know, feel stuff, you know, it had to right. stay because we didn't have time to be like remaking this whole thing in the image of me. That wasn't it. And important point i don't know anything about this world right like this kind of tv <laughs> that you're talking about doing yeah. i don't know anything they're using terms i don't understand um you know like there's jobs and things that are going on i want calls where we're interviewing like hiring people to work on the pilot i'm like i mean i can be here and give them the hit but I, I don't know what you're like i don't know i don't even really know what a director does you know like <laughs> like all these things you know all this stuff is coming up and I'm on it, but I don't really have the knowledge or the confidence to really like put my footprint on it. But, you know, so I'm getting scripts. I'm working on them. Um, I told them it was actually interesting because I'm working with these two guys who I don't know. And I say, hey, I need to bring one of my people on. And I explained to him, I said, look, the, the bottom line is I don't know this business and I don't know you. So I need somebody here that I trust and I need him here because 
I need to know when you're tripping and I need to know when I'm tripping. I need to know what I should be pushing back on, you know, all these things. Right. And my inclination is going to be to defer because my inclination is to be respectful of expertise. If you know more about this than I do, I'm going to trust you in the way that I would want to be trusted under those same circumstances. So I need you to bring my man on. Mm. and you know we figured that out and so my guy james davis came on i've known james james is like literally like for real like my little brother like it's like i've been saying this about him for 20 years like i've known him for that long and so we got on and we worked on it and so we did the pilot in july and it was cool because we shot it at a studio like it's the original 106 in park studio it's a studio where they <laughs> shot a lot of the Chappelle show stuff like yeah. I'm pretty certain the room we were in is the room that they shot like the club scenes for Rick James in that room. <laughs> and so it's like this super yeah. duper sunny day. Um, I lived over not too far from there at the time. So I just get up in the morning, put on the headphones, like I'm walking, I'm skipping, you know, just getting in there yeah. to go, you know, do this pilot. Cause I'd been in there and like, I'm watching them build the set and all of this, like it's some real cool stuff. Right. And I've already told myself in this, it'll be cool if we get it, but it's just cool to be able to try, right? Like this wasn't, this was found money to me. This right. wasn't, you know, this, this, I stumbled into this. Like it would be mm -hmm. really cool if it came together. And so I come and we doing the pilot and I sit down and I, I don't think I realized it, but like the HBO executives were there and all of that stuff. And if I'm being honest, I sat down there and I knocked that shit out the park. Like there was really, <laughs> there was really no other way to look at it. And, mm -hmm. and that was the way that it was received by literally every person that was there, including the executives, because they had never had any chance or opportunity to see me in that setting. And even the people I work with, you can put something on a teleprompter in a conference room, but that's not the same as being in a studio. Mm -hmm. I can't give it to you in this room like I am if we're actually in the place, you know? Right. Like people are like, you gotta practice like you play. You can only do that but so much, right? The, the, mm -hmm. the, the setting and the circumstances are just so much different. And so for everybody, it was their first time to see me like on stage, basically. Yeah. And while this is happening, I don't like, about stuff like this, I don't scare. Like I'm not saying I don't scare about anything in the world, but in terms of doing like broadcast stuff, there's not a circumstance under which you can make me nervous, I think, at this point. Like, I did a TED Talk once. I was nervous as hell for that. Like, I don't want to <laughs> pretend as though I can't, like, like yo, I never get nervous. But this stuff? No, 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 no. That's what it is. I sit down and talk. And if, if, if we're not doing it live, so you're going to tell me if it's not good enough, we're just going to do it again? We do it again? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 what's there to fear? So I sat down. And it was funny because going into it, I was talking to one of the guys working on the show and he says, um, basically he felt like people who don't get nervous at all about stuff like that must be some level of sociopath. And I just looked at him and was like, I mean, I'll be that. Like if that's yep. what it's gotta be. But I sat down and I ripped it. Like I, I really, it felt good. Like when you do a pilot, you get the studio and the crew and everything for the whole day. And yep. so there's an inclination to just stay as long as you can, shoot as much as you can. We left two hours early. At least I did. I don't know what they did, but I left two hours early. Like that's how good they had felt about mm. what we did. And so a couple of weeks after that, the pilot got picked up. Um, and I'd say in November is where we really, really got going on the creative. And in November, I said, okay, we're going to have six episodes. We know when the first episode is. We know when the last episode is. Let's go look at the sports calendar. Cause we got a bad, we're not going to be able to do those long essays Right. You can't turn one of those around in a week or in three days. That's not that's like those things take months. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So I'm like, all right, give me that calendar and let's tentpole some stuff. Gotcha. Right. Like, let's say we knew Selection Sunday was the first episode. So what could we right. do on college basketball? Boom. Coach K retirement. Like Perfect. something that ain't going to change. Right. Like something, you know, you can hook on to. I look at the last episode. It's going to be a week and a half before the NFL draft. We'll be deep in draft season. Let's do that. The Masters is going to be in our run. Let's do that. And then we can fill in the rest with like some general topics that we want to talk about. And so I mapped all that out in about November. And like I went on one of those crazy runs where like you hear about people who like record an album in a week. Like I didn't record the whole <laughs> album in a week, but I went through in about a week and change, came up with the topics and had outlines 
for four out of the six essays. Like Roman number one, Roman number two, down through five, filled out in the middle with what the ideas were. Because when the writers got there, I wanted to be make it as easy as possible for them. Like, boom, this is what we're working on, right? I talked to Stephen Colbert in this process, and he said, the best thing you can do to support your staff is give them clear direction as early as possible. So I wanted everybody, once we got there, we knew when we started what we wanted things to be. And then I'm talking to James about the Coach K thing. And he's like, well, what if we come up with a museum about how Coach K, a museum <laughs> exhibit about Coach K terrorizing <laughs> Black America? Totally, man. <laughs> right? And so, we, and so we instantly started working on that. And we had, yeah. like, as we were producing it, we had uh, Bashir Salutin and Diallo Riddle, the guys that do the South Side on um, HBO Max, they did Sherman Showcase. He's right for uh, Jimmy Fallon. We did a couple of weeks with them as consultant producers, and we were just kind of going back and forth on stuff. And that's like the Duke Museum, like it came out of that. So we yeah. did all that stuff. We got to staff in in February. Omicron made things a little bit difficult. And then, you know, it's like it's table reads, it's script meetings. It's, you know, all kinds of stuff and everybody going back and forth. And we put together this incredible team of absurdly talented people who were taking the ideas that I might start with, taking them to another, like taking those things to whole other levels that I may not have even known were possible. And then people figuring out what I'm into and then pitching ideas that's in line with what I want to do. And so all of that built. And then we did that first episode and I wish we could have done it again because we didn't go to a studio audience until the second episode. And that made it so much easier for me to time what I was saying and yeah. to know and to know what was you know what was working, what wasn't, and all that stuff. But we got in, and at least as far as I'm concerned, I felt like I got better six episodes in a row. Like I feel like yeah. our show got better six mm-hmm. episodes in a row because what people don't realize is there's no preseason television. <laughs> <laughs> like we we did six episodes of this show. Yeah, I have done the show in some total seven times. Like you don't get to. You don't get to practice doing a whole show during the week. That's just not how it works. So the only time I have to do the show is when we do the show. And so when you think about it that way. We'll we'll, we can get better for years because the only opportunity we have to get better, you actually get to watch it like we got to be good enough in what is the growing stages to show it to the world. And I think we did. You know, but one of the things that I was looking at my first watching game theory was that it brought me back to when I first heard about this dude down in North Carolina back in 2010 with a show called the morning Jones. Right. And, and, and I'm like, man, this cat talks sports, man. He talked culture. He talked music. He talked. And so as I'm watching the show, I'm getting that same vibe where I felt like I missed that part of you over the last 10, 12 years. And I got it back where you're showing the impact of what so many people don't understand. It's not about the fandom of sports. It's about what in what, what sports and culture, how they go hand in hand, how you've been able to get back to that and get back to that point of impacting everybody of what sports can be. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because and I think you see the smile on my face as you were talking about that because you <laughs> yeah. hit on something that I like for me in all of this process was really important. And so one of our writers, uh, Rod Morrow, uh, was listed on the on the Morning Jones, a show I used to do on uh, Sirius. Mm-hmm. And he used to call every day in the last segment of the show and like basically yeah. wrap the whole thing up. And he I mean, when I say he's a writer on the show. I asked him to put in a packet to write for the show, obviously, because I knew him, but he made it through the process. Like, it wasn't like I put him on. He earned his way on. But it was funny when we were doing one of the calls and I had to kind of take a break, basically, from like, I had to stop talking about this in ways that everybody else on the call would understand because he said, so what's the show going to be? And I said, "Okay, I'm going to say this to you. They're not going to understand it, but you're going to understand. I said, I'm going to figure out how to put the morning Jones on television. Mm-hmm. and he said oh okay boom and so for me the morning jones i did that 2010 and 2011 and it's definitely the most fun i've ever had at work i had a serious radio show yeah. where i was in north carolina doing the show out of my house my producers were in toronto <laughs> yeah. and somehow like i remember what attracted me to the job was they did full podcasting on every episode so it didn't matter to me that you were on serious because i could then distribute the product and I could get it into people's hands and you never know who gets a hold of it. But 
there has never been a radio show like it. I ain't saying it's the greatest of all time, but you talk to the people who listen to it. Yes, it was sir. an exhilarating ride for a year and a half where anything could happen and the range that we had and what we could talk about was so broad because it was on serious. And I was like barely 30. So, you know, so I'm at that age, like I'm at the height of my, my creative powers and everything. <laughs> and it was great. But once you get to ESPN, well, first of all, ESPN's legal department cares a lot more about what you say and worries a lot mm-hmm. more about you clearing music and all kinds of things. Like there was a range of things that honestly, when I got to ESPN, ESPN wasn't holding me back. The law was holding me back. Mm-hmm. Decency was holding me back. Right. Ah. Like there were just there was just stuff I couldn't do anymore like we used to run music bumpers that were two minutes long in and out because we were on serious so you had access to the entire serious music library i could like get on garage band and cut up some stuff using music and like make pre-produced stuff like old school radio stuff or like some tom jordan type stuff i could do that then but you don't have that flexibility to do that at a big operation and so on top of that you get to the big operation and now you got like two three jobs So you're doing a television show, maybe you're doing a radio show, maybe you're doing a podcast, you know, there's all these different things and moving parts that are going on. And so I love the work that I did for ESPN, but I wouldn't be being honest if I said it was as creative as the work I was doing before I was at ESPN. And to be fair to ESPN, it's not like I went to them and said, hey, I wish I was doing more creative stuff because it's totally possible they would have put me with somebody to do some of that stuff. But like I was locked in on the jobs that I had at the time and I did those. And so now that I'm not doing television with ESPN, I'm just doing my podcast. I get into this TV show and now I got a team, right? Mm -hmm. Like our footage producer had a JD from UCLA. You know what I mean? And it's hilarious. (laughs) Like I've got, like when I think about all the things that people on my staff were capable of doing and it really was to the point where I can say, I think we should make a museum exhibit about Duke basketball's terrorizing black America. And people are having meetings with schematics. And I'm looking up like I'm looking up on on the wall and you're putting (laughs) up, well, this is what we're going to do here. This is what we're going to do here. And everybody's staring back at me because they want to see my reaction to it because it's my opinion that matters entirely new but they can't get my reaction because of course you know COVID I got a mask on so all they can do (laughs) is guess whether or not I like it you know what I mean and so I can really just walk into a room now and say yeah I'm thinking about this what you got and the next day a script might come some like schematic plan can come I get it I look over it I say what I think they start shooting it I you know let people do their jobs we walk in and be like yo why don't you try this why don't you try that and so I've never been in a situation where I don't have to come up with every step of it myself, Mm. you know? So in this, I can really go from, I have this idea and then people can carry it or add to it. And then it can help me figure out like what exactly it is that I want. Like this is a story I've been telling that uh, Nile Rogers tells about uh, before he and David Bowie worked on Let's Dance. And he said they had just been hanging around New York, going to record stores, all of that stuff. And he said he got in, he got in this record store and he picks up this little, Rick, this little Richard album. And I don't know which one, but you can only imagine what the cover <laughs> looked like, right? And <laughs> Bowie looks at Nile Rogers' whole and says, I want to make an album that sounds the way this looks. And that was the basis for them starting that record, right? Mm. Like I'm on calls with like a creative director and I'm trying to figure out, like I'm giving all you do, like we give her words. She goes and Googles and looks some stuff up about me and comes back with concepts. You know what I mean? Like that's wild to me that somebody, I don't even necessarily know what the word, like all I know is the words. I don't know what I wanted to look like. And you come back here with something that I love. Like that's just a crazy kind of process to be. And so all that stuff together it's invigorating because it does now let me go back to doing the, like, I was honestly afraid that that part of my brain didn't work anymore Mm. because I just hadn't used it. I hadn't been in a position when I wondered if it was now time to get it back. You know, like if you stop making music for 10 years, man, who's say you still got heat, you know, Mm -hmm. but you know, but you put yourself with the right team, they can figure out how to get the heat out of you. And I think that's what my people have been doing. Monty, before we let you run, you took an opportunity each week to weave in your blackness. And Mm -hmm. that's not the easiest thing 
to do in those platforms. But I heard what you said at the beginning of the conversation when you were talking about framing the show, that you made it clear to everybody that the show that they planned was not necessarily going to be the show that you were going to do. Did you have conversations about that each week about commentary that you wanted to directly address to the Black experience? Or was that something you said from the jump, this is going to be a part of my presentation because this is me? There was pretty much an edict from HBO that this is Bomani's show. They, in fact, had to push me into treating it as Bomani's show. I just didn't have the confidence, you know, like I didn't know enough about it to know. They're like, we want the show that you want it to be. I didn't come to you with this show. You came to me. I thought y'all was going to do that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, like, it's like, it's like I came over. I, I thought y'all said it was going to be food. Yeah. I got to, I got to like, okay, so you have food, but I got to make the food. <laughs> I, I, you know, well, damn, now I got to think about what I'm going to do with this chicken. I hadn't even considered that. Right? right. And so I didn't know those things, but they were insistent. It had to be my show. It had to be my show. It had to be my show. So with the blackness and everything else in it, I never made a conscious decision that it was going to be that way. That's just the stuff I do. You know, like, like it's not for me an intentional statement of any sort. It is, this is what I think is funny and what I think is broadly accessible. Like the thing that I've learned in my time in the game and this, and Kirk talk about the morning Jones, you can vouch yeah. for this. Mm -hmm. I was doing this kind of stuff but it wasn't like it was just black people on the phone. It was everybody. It was everybody. They call it from the middle of nowhere in you Canada. You had some rednecks on, man. Yeah, they call it from everywhere. Like, they can get yeah. with it. Like, I think that people yeah. greatly underestimate the ability for people to appreciate what we would call authentic blackness, right? right. So to me, it's not about a statement of blackness. It's, this is how I do things. This is what I do best. I'm going to do what I do best. And HBO wants what I do best. The only thing that I made a conscious thing about, like as it related to something race related, we wanted our first two episodes at first to be, we start with the Duke one about Duke basketball, breaking the hearts of black America for 30 years. And then the next episode was going to be about HBCU sports. But I wanted to break that up. And the reason that I wanted to break that up was I just didn't want there to be no misunderstandings with somebody two episodes in which is to say the blackness of this show is organic. It is not forced. It is not intentional. You know, like, so I wanted to do a cryptocurrency episode and then <laughs> yeah. put the, because the HBCU sports thing wasn't really about race. It was about black colleges. Like that's not right. the same thing. So no, I've, all I have gotten in terms of things I want to do on this show is nothing but encouragement. Like the notes we get back are about the best ways to do things, but the perspective and everything else, I can't, I get nervous when I start feeling too good about my bosses. You know what I mean? They've been, they've been so supportive in that way that maybe one day somebody going to push back at me about some of that stuff, but it really not in a way that's consequential, right? Like, you know, somebody going to have a question about, Hey, I don't know about this joke. Like, you know, are, are white people going to know what BET uncut is? You know, like, like, like you know, <laughs> those things happen. Right. right. But it's not from the standpoint of minimizing the blackness as much as what I think is a fair concern there. Just making sure you want to make sure that you present your content in a way that tells everybody they're welcome. Yeah. The daring part, I think, about our experiment is there is an overt blackness to it, but I'm saying that that is accessible, right? It's not like, yo, I'm doing this black show for my people. It's for the people who like it, right? My mm -hmm. people, I think, is a broad term. And right. so... I'm doing it the way I do it because that's the way that I've always done it. And I am firmly convinced that that is something that a whole lot of people from a whole lot of places can enjoy. And if it works, I would hope that that would be the impact of it is just making people understand that you don't have to comfort, like you have to make decisions about what works for different people. And you know, when something is just a little bit too obscure, right. For everybody, but whoever you are, you can be who you are and just figure out a way to code the message so that everybody can wrap their arms around it. Came across when you were doing Man on the Street in the interviews and in the essays and sketches. We appreciate you. Congratulations on Absolutely. season one. When the season two news drops, and I'm putting that out there, uh, please come back. 
and uh, join us for our <laughs> dude always man i can't thank you guys enough for having me on and for watching and for people if you want to check it it's on hbo max and you can also uh check out stuff on the youtube channel brother you did your own segue out i appreciate <laughs> the hosting skills are next level i thank you. i hear to help man i'm here to help. <laughs> my man <laughs> well monty jones game theory right here with us here on forward progress we'll take a break when we come back we check the grades diversity inclusion hiring practices around major sports in America. Forward Progress rolls on in a moment. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Man, what a great conversation with somebody. If, you, if you're just joining us, make sure you rewind or go back if you're checking this <laughs> in, uh, on the SXM app and just enjoy uh, someone who Kirk sounds like he just loves loves it the job that he's doing now having a show that's uh, where he can blast things where he can mm-hmm. be funny uh, and also where he can lay down things that need to be discussed that are, aren't easy topics in the world of sports don't we know about it every yeah. day yeah. like I said man I've been been following him for a long long time uh, as an active NFL player and really like I said he's getting back to I think his roots of being able to bring it all together race sports culture all of that. Let's shift gears a little bit. The Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sports released uh, the complete 2021 racial and gender report card, which summarizes, Kirk, and analyzes the individual uh, dynamics around the NBA, WNBA, Major League Soccer, the NFL, Major League Baseball, and college sports, and uh, analyzing their current efforts uh, at diverse and inclusive hiring practices through sports can show uh, just meaningful progress that's being made in the society as a whole. Uh, sports tends to be the leading edge, though, per, per usual, yeah. in 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 advancing things more so than standard corporate America. But in regard to race, the complete report card found that the WNBA, the NBA, and Major League Soccer were the only ones uh, that received at least an A grade for racial hiring with the WNBA leading the way with an A plus, which I believe they've done in previous years. Uh, the NFL and Major League Baseball followed with B plus grades. College sports was far behind with a C. Yeah. Uh, the NFL and WNBA plus MLS had improvements in their racial hiring grades, so elevated all, along the way. Your first perception? Uh, to me, NBA obviously we saw it in their hiring of coaches and the uptick that we saw in black head coaches in the NBA. Uh, was something that definitely I thought everyone saw how um, the hiring process was a lot different Uh, when it comes to MLS as well. um, You do have a lot of players who are not of uh, American born. So the diversity there is, I think, is that the 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 culture of not just African-American, like so many people, when they think of diversity, it's, it's black. It's like, no, it's all races. You know what I mean? And I think MLS, they embark in that they they're more of a global game to where you have to have, I believe, more diversity um, of its roots of, of soccer. Um, I think the WNBA speaks for itself. You know, obviously um, having, you know, women and women of color being put in some uh, great, you know, positions of power. Um, I could definitely see, and they've been sort of the, um, you know, what everyone aspires to be, it feels like, because of their, just the way that their league is operated. But I think for me, what really stood out to me, obviously the NFL still needs to get better. I'm not, you know, they're just to see the rise and what they've done in terms of throughout the league, not just the head coaching positions and general manager positions, because they still need to work on that. But throughout the league, there have been some hires, but I'm a little upset looking at the college sports. I think that that's, no one talks enough about college sports. I'm glad there was a great because it does show you how far college sports is behind and they need to improve. When you look at the hirings of many head coaches uh, throughout the throughout college and even athletic directors, it is full on. There, there has to be some work that's done in the collegiate ranks. So I'm glad that this Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sport definitely put, I think, college sports on notice that they need to get better. Uh, from a gender standpoint, and I want to break this out into two different spaces uh, mm-hmm. from gender and then uh, some racial hiring practices right. uh, before we wrap up. But the gender hiring grades uh, were awesome for the WNBA and NBA, Correct. respectively. 
uh, Major League Soccer and the end of NFL alone uh, had some improvement. The NFL did get a C plus, though, while uh, baseball and soccer and college are at, at a C level in that space. And so obviously there are improvements that need to be made there. The leagues, it was interesting, Kirk, as it pertains to uh, racial equity, NFL, Mm -hmm. MLB, WNBA, NBA, MLS, all doing well in their league offices. They all received at least an A for their racial hiring practices. However, at the team level, uh, that's where there's still room for improvement in the proportion of women and people of color holding senior level positions. Yeah, those the part that you know kind of sticks out because then you look at the percentage of players and then um, the percentage of players of color versus the percentage of people of color in managerial or higher positions. It doesn't sort of equate. So that's the part I think that stuck out to me in reading this and, and looking to see how can you change that. But you're are but you are seeing. I think more involvement, and it is a process. I think it just doesn't happen overnight. But to see that there is a small uptick that will continue to grow, I think that's what I'm leaning and hoping for. Yeah, not to get too far away from your point about uh, college athletics. They, 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 got <laughs> Come on, man. they got a lot of work to do. Man. <laughs> they got the, the data is staggering, right? Yeah. Half of football student athletes are people of color. Nine percent of the head coaches, 18 and a half percent of the athletic directors, uh, 16, nearly 17 percent of, of president and Chandler's reflect that. Yeah. It's that's not good. good. That's yeah. no, it's, it's pitiful. Yeah. It's not good. Right? It, it, I mean, it's, it, yeah. we, the advancements of, let's see, they, they went back to 2007, 2008 uh, to note that nearly 90% of conference commissioners in division one were white 15 years later. It's only moved about six and a half percent. Yeah. Not a lot. Not a lot. That's the area. <laughs> I, I, the, Without that data, mm-hmm. I've been pushing the eldest Jackson son who's in grad school, I mean, like laser focused on an AD job at the Division One Power Five level. I said, man, yeah. the mystical carpet ride is in the conference. Yeah. Go be a, com- go be a commissioner. Figure that mm-hmm. out. Yep. And, and, you know, the, the path might be being an AD first, but there's so many different aspects. Maybe you work at the NCA for a little bit and then grow within a conference. But I, I am trying to encourage the the coloration <laughs> of the ranks of conference commissioners <laughs> in America. I hear you. We need more of them. I'll tell you that. We need more guys that aspire to be. I think that's also. Uh, it's just having it something. as a thought process, right? Yeah, in the absolutely. Sense of, hey, that's a job that I could and should do. Yeah. It's, it's a path that many people before wouldn't really see it, but I think uh, it, it's a reality, but we need more candidates such as young Jacks. <laughs> I heard that. Yeah, listen, we're hopeful. We, we highlighted uh, the awesome program at the big 10 where they're yeah. lifting their student athletes to see the world and uh, social justice and inclusion and equality as a part of their growth as young people, as they're building their universal mind, which was what we're supposed to do when we're in college. Uh, more of the power fives hopefully are following uh, in those footsteps, but man, that's going to do it for us. What a fun, uh, what a fun yeah. week we had. Great, man. Phenomenal. Thanks again to body Jones and all of his crew for uh, getting us together. We've been trying to get together for about a oh, month. Wow. <laughs> and, and when uh, I was watching the last episode uh, prior to our taping this week, uh, I was like, wait, what? That, that was that's the end of the season. That's it. I know we'll be on this week. Yeah. And uh bang, we got it done. So what what a what a cool experience. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's just uh that's the show, you know, for progress and watching guys progress into bigger roles. I mean, I couldn't be more excited for Bomani. Looking forward to seeing if season two's on the way. Should be. Yeah. Uh, for our producer, Pernell Brown, that's Kirk Morrison. I'm Jason Jackson. Thanks for hanging with us. We'll talk to you next time on Forward Progress. <laughs>